0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining Wilson Sonsini's Electronic Gaming Group podcast. I'm Mary O'Brien, an associate at Wilson based out of the Palo Alto office. I'm thrilled to have you join me as I interview several of my colleagues and dig into key topics surrounding early stage companies with a focus on gaming-specific issues. The information in this podcast episode is for general information purposes only and may not reflect current law in your jurisdiction. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation And this information is not intended to create, and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking legal or other professional advice from an appropriately licensed professional in your state, country, or other appropriate jurisdiction. Today I have with me Scott McKinney, an of counsel at our firm and a professor at Georgetown Law. Scott, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and what made you interested in the gaming space?
1: Sure. Uh, So I currently work as a member of our technology transactions group and I help companies of all types figure out how to commercialize and and launch new cool products like, like video games. So what made me interested in the gaming space? I think it was probably when my parents bought me an original Nintendo Entertainment System uh, for christmas when i was 5 when i think back on uh, where i am now as a as a technology uh, attorney i i really the path that led me to that was because i studied computer science computer engineering when i was younger uh, and in college and i was a coder before making the jump over to law school and a legal career And when I really think about it, what led me to that path, it was my interest in gaming. Um, Because when I was five and six in the early 90s, I was lucky enough to get um, an early personal computer and started out playing computer text games like Zork, Legend of the Red Dragon. And when I was eight or nine, I realized I could actually make my own games if I learned how to program. And so when I was in third or fourth grade, I taught myself QBasic and started learning how to code, all in order to learn how to create my own epic action-adventure game. And since then, my interest in gaming and technology and all the interesting related legal and other issues and developments has sort of grown from
0: there. As someone who's grown up with the gaming industry and knows it from a legal and an industry standpoint, you can attest that there's going to be a lot of newly formed companies. What is one of the biggest pieces of advice you can give to these fledging companies with founders who may not have any legal expertise?
1: So one of the biggest issues I see with gaming companies and really startup companies of all types is that companies come up with a really cool idea or really cool game. They go down the path of creating that that game. And once they're close to being ready to commercialize it, they realize that, oh wait, I may not have have all of the IP rights that I need to launch this game, because I may have incorporated something that I don't own or may not have the right to use in my game or idea or product or technology. So if you are a gaming founder or developing a new game from scratch, you might ask yourself a few questions. Did I create this game completely on my own? And if you didn't, then ask yourself, what am I using? Am I leveraging someone else's ideas, content, or characters? Have I taken parts of code from my friends, from the internet, from the database of the job I was working at before I started creating the game? Or is my game or idea just inspired by something else? Have I not really borrowed something outright, but have I just got a general idea um, that I built upon in the form of a really cool new game.
0: If a founder does leverage a third party's intellectual property, how do they secure the proper rights?
1: That's a great question, Mary. Um, If a founder does end up leveraging third party IP rights, either intentionally or or unintentionally, how can you secure them? So one way of doing that is entering into a license agreement. Um, So if it turns out that you're using or you want to use, Another company or another individual's um, IP, whether in the form of software or even IP such as ideas or characters um, or you know themes or music, the way that you can secure those rights rather than just adding in into your game without without asking is you can approach the company or individual and enter into a, a an agreement where they say we'll give you the rights that you need to. To use our source code, our software, our tool, our idea, our our music, our character, um, and in exchange for that, um, why don't you give us uh, a license fee or some small amount of the revenue that that you know is, is related to your game or the commercialization of your of your game or your gaming platform? Um, now, depending on on how a game is developed and what a founder has used, you actually may have already agreed to certain rights um, or obligations as you are developing uh, the game.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What do you mean by like certain obligations based on the platform?
1: Right. So it's becoming more and more common and more and more of a, a great idea for for a game developer for for games to be developed. On on sort of the shoulders of third-party development engines or or software engines. So you might ask, what what is that? <laughs> so that the idea of a of an engine is software that's created by someone else, uh, often a a large um, gaming or development company that really offers the building blocks uh, of of the game. So it allows you to. Um, reuse these tools or this environment um, that's been created and engineered and re engineered and improved and upgraded over time by a, a large team of really skilled developers. Um, and these uh, gaming engines are great ways to shortcut um, a lot of the time and effort that, that might otherwise need to be spent. To sort of build up the foundation for a game. Um, so, common examples. Uh, one, uh, one common example you might, uh, many people have heard of, is the, is the Unity engine. Um, so, oftentimes, when founders or developers are relying on these these third-party engines, you can use them in many cases for free um, at the beginning, as long as you're using them either not commercially or you're, you're not making a lot of money off of them. Um, the thing that people often forget is even though you can download and use these amazing engines or development environments for free, sometimes and oftentimes, once you go into a full commercial release, then the terms of, of, of your use of that uh, engine change and you might need to pay or you likely will need to pay a fee for the for the benefits you're getting out of uh, that engine. And so sometimes, you know, young uh, founders or developers kind of overlook this fact. And then once it comes time to commercialize the game, um, your whole business model might be premised on not having to pay those fees. Um, and, and you need to think about that from the beginning and factor in the fact that uh, if I'm building my entire game based on this third party building block, um, I'm going to be wedded into that building block, and I, I'm, I'm just going to be aware of and need that I will have to pay uh, for the, the rights and benefits I'm, re- I'm receiving from that in- engine.
0: So what about other software that's available for free on the Internet, like open source software?
1: Right. So open source software is one of my favorite topics. Um, and for those of you that haven't heard of this, open source software is something that's widely available and widely used in the programming community across the gaming and other industries. And the idea is that if I wanted to create uh, some software and allow others to use it, I might release it under an open source software license. And most open, sor- open source software licenses essentially say, you can use my software and you can do, you do just about anything you want with it, as long as you do X, Y, and Z. And that X, Y, and Z is, are the things that people often overlook. For a lot of types of open source software, the X, Y, and Z just says you have to tell people that you distribute my software to that I created some of that software. And that's all you need to do. You just need to give them notice that, that and credit for the software that you're reusing. Um, However, not all open source software is the same, and there are another class of open source software licenses referred to as copyleft licenses that have other licensing conditions in that X, Y, and Z. And some of those conditions um, could potentially be problematic if you've included open source software under a copyleft license in your product, didn't realize it, and then later on, right when you're about to launch or after you've already launched the product, or the game you realize you may need to remediate it. And one of those conditions in some types of open source software licenses says if you include the software in um, this in my game and you distribute the game to the public, then as a condition of you're using my open source software, uh, you need to make all the source code for the game available. And you can imagine that that could be problematic if, for example, Uh, A founder didn't want to release the source code for its game to the public or, or maybe you're mostly okay with that idea, but releasing the source code to the public could um, open your game up to things like security vulnerabilities and all sorts of other issues. Um, So the way to get around this uh, or, or, or head this off at the pass is just to be aware of the open source software that you're using from the beginning track that use of open source software, and just be diligent in how you and your gaming uh, development team uses open source software so that you're not surprised later on in the process, right before you launch that, oh wait, I didn't realize we are using open source in a way we're not supposed to, now I've got to spend a lot of time to fix it.
0: So it sounds like making sure you're keeping track of the software and the platform is a crucial element to understanding and being successful as a gaming founder. Um, what about, so most gaming founders may work at other companies in similar atmospheres. Could you tell me any issues for a founder who maybe worked on their game or some code while being employed at another company?
1: A lot of times when you come up with that really cool game idea, a really cool idea for a new company, um, you may be working at a different job, right? You might be, um, developed as a coder or doing something completely different and, um, you may not quit your job before you fully develop your, your idea or even before you start working on your really cool game. And the way this can present an issue is that with most companies in the U.S. and, and really around the world, um, the, the way your employment agreement will work or the way the default law rules will work um, is that Um, anything you create in the course of your employment will often be owned by the employer and sometimes the employment agreement can go beyond just that and can say anything that you develop using a company computer or done on company time or even done while you're employed at the company period is automatically owned by the company. And so you can imagine if you're spending your lunch break developing your really cool game. Or you're, uh, you take your work laptop home and you're coding on your work laptop because you also uh, code on your work laptop for work um, and but you're creating a game and it has nothing to do with your job sometimes your employment agreement will say too bad the company that you work for then owns that game or owns that idea or owns that code that you've spent so much time working on um, so the, the thing you need to be aware of as a founder is that uh, the terms of your employment agreement really do matter. So before you spend a lot of time developing that really cool game on your, on your lunch break or, or if, you know, before you reuse code that you're using in, the, in your day-to-day day job, also in, in the really cool game that you're developing on the side, um, just be aware that you may be inadvertently giving ownership of whatever you're doing over to the company. And once you go off and start and found your new gaming company or bring your really cool game idea to an already established gaming company, um, that can raise major issues once people hire attorneys or start poking around and asking questions and realize, actually, uh, it turns out that your former employer owns that game or owns that really cool idea and not you.
0: So it sounds like we really need to square away employment issues, make sure we're not leveraging third-party IP. And there's a lot of things that founders without these legal experiences may not know. Could you tell us maybe other issues that you've run across in the gaming space? Sure.
1: Another issue that we run into in the gaming space um, is that once you've found a company, Particularly with, with video game companies, it's often the case that a founder uh, is really on the ground doing a lot of the actual development of the game. Because uh, anyone that's founding a new gaming company, uh, in many cases, is doing, has, came up with the idea um, by themselves um, or, or with their other founders. And so they may you may be on the ground uh, coding or coming up with new characters or story design. And... Uh, spending lots and lots of time developing this really valuable uh, property. Um, the thing that people often forget to do, though, is to enter into an agreement between yourself and your other, and, and between your, the other founders uh, and the company, the legal entity itself, that says that entity um, either owns all of that IP and software that you've been working on um, or has all the rights it needs to use it. And um, how this can be an issue, you might say, well, I, I'm the founder. Why do I need to have a formal legal document? Um, the sad reality is a lot of times founders leave, fights happen, things come up. And if, if that ever does happen for your company, um, you want to make sure that you, you aren't inadvertently giving away, you know, a third of your game or a third of your game isn't leaving when one of the three founders walks out the door. Um, so it's important to square that away early on so that you don't have a cloud over the ownership of the IP that's been you know integrated into a game uh, prior to either you know beginning or really uh, getting down the road of the development of your gaming company and your
0: game itself. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today, Scott. Wilson Sincini advises a wide variety of clients in this gaming industry. If you'd like more information or if you have any questions about legal issues arising in the gaming space, please don't hesitate to reach out to any member of our Electronic Gaming Group. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.